awaited savior of humanity, Imam al-Mahdi alayhi salam, my respected elders, teachers, brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I call myself and all of you towards taqwa and piety in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his religion. In the last few weeks, we have been speaking about the series, the topic, about where I should and should not get my knowledge from. And two weeks ago, amongst the discussions that we had, was the example of the story of Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib, salawatullah wa salamuhu When he stands up and gives a khutbah during his period of khilafat, trying to rouse the Muslim ummah, and a man from amongst them stands up, and says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I don't think this is in your best interests. Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam responds and says, You are a weaver, son of a weaver. You have caused fitna against the Muslims previously. Even your own tribe doesn't uh, trust you. We don't trust you. And we find here that Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam places certain characteristics on this individual to say, that your knowledge of what the needs of this ummah are aren't sufficient to be able to stand up and tell the rest of the ummah what I, Amir al-Mu'mineen, should or should not be doing. Last week, we took three verses from the Holy Qur'an. They were all from Surah Al-Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَاهِدُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمِ Amongst man is he who argues about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge. And there are those people who will follow every rebellious Satan. If we follow those sorts of people, we also fall into destruction. The second verse said, they have no knowledge about Allah. They themselves are not guided. They themselves don't refer back to the Quran. We cannot follow such people. Take our knowledge, take, put trust in them for guidance. And the third verse we looked at last week was those people who worship Allah on a ledge. Ala harfin. That they themselves have no certainty. They themselves don't know which camp they sit in. If they themselves are so lost, how can you and I put our trust in them? And we gave the example of Boris Johnson when on the night before the Brexit referendum vote, he had written two articles, one proposing we stay in, one proposing we go out. What was the decision-making process? Political expediency. People put their trust in these sorts of politicians. We are not permitted to put our trust in such people. Now, this is our last discussion on this series, and we wrap up, inshallah, with a last verse to be able to appreciate those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us about taking our knowledge from and whom we need to ensure that we avoid. We also want some practical thinking and guidance about navigating those people who have so many different claims to truth, so many different claims to know what is best for us in our interest. The verse that we are taking for today is a verse which I want to use at the core, the essence of the lesson that is being provided to us. And this comes to us from chapter number 24, Surah An-Nur, verse number 4. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places with us two key lessons. The first lesson is that the greater the claim, 
the more important, the bigger the claim of truth, the greater the weight of evidence that is required to prove that claim. If I say to you outside it's raining, or I say to you outside someone is selling to you samosas, the claim itself is not a heavy claim. It's not a huge claim, right? So the level of evidence that goes alongside with this needs to match accordingly. There's no need for me to now bring the Qur'an and go, I swear by the Qur'an, there are samosas outside. It doesn't make sense. But the bigger the claim, the more there is a need of evidence to balance out that claim. If I say to you, leaving the European Union is in your best interest, and then I just have a bus that says, 350 million pounds will go into the NHS. The claim is so big, the evidence doesn't stack up. It's just a false claim. It's an empty claim. It's a slogan. But how many people, including Muslims, including Shia, are beguiled by these slogans wherever they are around the world? The bigger the claim, the bigger the need for evidence to balance out the extent of that claim part of this verse we will come to. The second part is, there are certain people, people or certain institutions, certain things that when they use up the currency that they have for truth, when they have been proved to be liars, at times it is not permissible for you to ever take their testimony again. Let us read the verse insha'Allah, chapter number 24, verse number 4. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the following, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. As for those who accuse a chaste woman, but then fail to produce four witnesses who accuse this woman of an indecency, what should you do then? Lash them with 80 lashes, the ones who fail to bring about sufficient evidence. As I said, I'm not speaking about the mas'ala of this issue. We're using it as a precedent to be able to understand whom we should take knowledge from and whom we should not. And you should not accept from them testimony ever after. And those are surely defiantly disobedient. So here, we understand that when there is a claim made against this woman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not demanding one witness, is demanding four witnesses. Meaning that when there is a certain claim that is made, one needs to be able to have a balance of evidence to prove the extent of the claim. When people come to you and want your vote, when they're demanding you to believe in them, the greater the claim, the greater the demand of evidence. What we have seen throughout this country and many others is so often when claims are made, even the most spurious of evidence is provided and people fall for this one after another, believing it one after the other. The second is that there are times when people who lie, people who will misabuse the trust that they have with them, once they have been proved as liars, you are not permitted to take them ever again in their testimony. Now this is very important. How many a time have we seen a newspaper, or a government, or a politician, or a newsreader, or a radio host, 
openly lying about issues that affect us in this world today. They have been proven wrong time and time and time again. But they are still pushed out in front of the world's media to continue peddling their lies. Iraq war, Syrian war, Afghanistan war, Libya, all of these invasions, all of these occupations, one by one, knowing the truth, especially now, after what we have seen after all these years, the very same politicians are allowed to walk out and say whatever they want. We are not permitted to take them. These people will give us any claim they want about Brexit or whatever the issue may be. They have been proven to be liars. Clear falsities have come from them. We had politicians say to us, quote, the morning after Brexit, we will be in Berlin making deals with the German government. We are now but three weeks, four weeks away from crashing out without a deal. And these same people are still given platforms. We live in this world. And we are all being beguiled by these people. There is a wonderful example that's given to us about navigating some of these issues from Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib salawatullah wa salamuhu alayk. When the Holy Prophet of Islam migrated from Mecca to Medina, he left behind Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam in Mecca as his representative. Any issues you have, you go to Ali ibn Abi Talib and he will solve them for you on behalf of the Holy Prophet of Islam and even until today that remains. Handala ibn Abi Sufyan instructed Umar ibn Wa'il to go to Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam and say to him, I have placed, he's lying, I have placed a hundred gold pieces with the Holy Prophet. Remember these are the Quraysh and they're trying to steal from the Prophet but whilst he's migrated to Medina. Tell him, he says to Umar, tell Ali ibn Abi Talib, I placed 100 gold pieces with the Prophet. Since he has fled to Medina and you are his representative here, please hand my property back to me. Obviously, nothing had been deposited with the Prophet. Handala added that if Ali ibn Abi Talib was to ask for witnesses to support his claim, all of the Quraysh would stand up and bear testimony to the veracity of Umar's claim. Initially, Umair was hesitant to go and lie on behalf of Handala. However, Handala says to him, I present you with a gold necklace that belongs to Hind, the wife of Abu Sufyan. Take this as the down payment for your lies against the Prophet. So Umair approaches Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, and then says to him, if you don't believe me that we deposited all these hundred gold pieces with Rasulullah, I will bring to you Abu Jahl. Ikra, Abu Jahal, I will bring to you Abu Jahal as the witness. You can see where I'm going with these points if you stitch them together. I will bring to you Abu Jahal, Ikrama, Uqba, Abu Sufyan, and Handala. They will testify that Handala gave 100 gold pieces with Rasulullah. The Imam Amir al Mu'mineen responded and said, May their deception rebound upon them. And then asked them to bring witnesses in front of the Kaaba. Then when all of these witnesses arrived in front of the Kaaba, he separated them so that they could not hear one another's testimony. And he went individually to one after the other after the other in order to ask them. He comes towards uh, the first one, Umair, who makes the claim and says two questions. 
when did Rasulullah give you these hundred gold pieces and where did he put them when he gave them to you? Oh, sorry, when you gave him these hundred gold pieces, where did, he give, where did you give them to him and where did he deposit them? Where did he then put them as a safe place? Omer responds by saying, he gave the hundred gold pieces to me in the morning and then he handed it over to his servant. <coughs> Amir al-Mu'mineen then goes to the second witness and asks Abu Jahl the same two questions. He says, I have no idea where Rasulullah gave the hundred gold pieces or where he deposited them. Then he goes towards Handala and asks the same question. Where was these gold pieces given to Rasulullah? He took possession of them at Dhuhr time, not at Fajr time, at Dhuhr time and placed them in front of him. He held on to them. He then went and asked Uqba and he said he gave it at Asr time and then he placed it in his house. A fourth person, Ikrama, said Rasulullah took it early in the morning and then he placed the possessions in the house of Fatima. As this understood, all of these were saying wrong things, lying about one another, lying in each other's testimony. Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam responds and says, Why, Omer, is your face turning pale from your testimony? Omer says, By the Lord of the Kaaba, I had not placed any trust with Rasulullah. Handala bribed me into doing this. It was at this point Ali ibn Abi Talib proved the lies of these individuals. Sallallahu alayhi Muhammad wa these issues require us to have wisdom, to require us to realize that people don't have our best interest at heart. And we need to be able to take from different sources, we need to be able to look through the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of what God wants through these issues, and not allow ourselves to be uh, taken uh, in these ways where people are trying to lie to us and that many of us around the world fall for these things. Here we have concluded our series on the question of where we get our knowledges from and where we don't get our knowledges from. From next week, inshallah, we will start a new mini-series which will be under Adab al-Ikhtilaf. What is the etiquette when ikhtilaf, differences of opinion, appear between us, between ourselves in community? How do we maturely navigate some of these issues when they come about. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Wala Asr inna al insana lafi khusr illa alladina amanu wa amilu salihati wa tawasu bil haqqi wa tawasu bil sabr. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين ثم الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين أما بعد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب الشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي My respected brothers and sisters السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته there are a few very important points that we need to set the foundation of thinking of and certain issues that are coming about in front of us. The first one is that parliamentarian, the minister Sajid Javid this week has proscribed Hezbollah as its political wing, as being a terrorist organization and anyone who supports or professes support or sympathy with Hezbollah's political wing 
is considered also to be supporting terrorism and may face up to 10 years in prison. This needs to be discussed fully and maybe with the five minutes that we have for the second khutbah, it is not sufficient. But the following points need to be raised. Number one, this country and many others have had a very sad history of the way in which they can quickly turn on who they proclaim to be terrorists and who they don't claim to be terrorists. One point, Nelson Mandela, by this country, by this government, was proclaimed to be terrorist. Only a few years later, he's considered to be the giant of the 20th century. What happened? Did Nelson Mandela change? Or was his stance always the same? Why is it that we can so easily and quickly and flimsily be bought, be bought into changing our views? Where one day one person is against us and one day one person is for us. This questions our confidence in such a decision. Following on from this, it also raises a very peculiar question as to why is it that sometimes this government can support terrorism so openly, be it with the funding of al Saud, who are known to be people who butcher mass murder. Is it not the fact that the weapons that ISIS received, is it not a fact that the weapons that Jabal al-Nusra received, is it not a fact that the weapons that other groups have received have come from Saudi Arabia and Qatar and Turkey and others, whilst our own governments supply weapons to those very nation states? The question needs to be raised, for what reason is this group now being prescribed as a terrorist organization? It worries me, it worries me, that this is not an independent decision that Sajid Javid is making, but that there are certain lobbies that are pressurizing him. And our government should not be for sale. When lobbyists are able to put pressure on ministers to make certain decisions, or they are seeking political expediency to one day be in number 10, this is not the way government should work. But it also raises other questions around freedom of speech. For example, can a Lebanese person here support the second largest block in the Lebanese government? Is that wrong for them to say, I support a political block within my own government from my nation state, from my home state? What happens if I want to be able to say, look, Hezbollah were the ones who defeated ISIS. Am I also going to be considered a terrorist for saying, look, Hez were able to defeat ISIS. This government, this government, when ISIS broke out and did what they did, do you know how many soldiers this government initially sent to be able to defeat ISIS? 300. There's more people in this room here today. And they weren't even combatants, they were advisors. Hezbollah were the ones who fought on the battlefield to be able to defeat the scourge of ISIS alongside Hashd al-Sha'bi, alongside others and so on. Now if we wish to be able to praise them for defeating ISIS, does that make us as well terrorists? These are real questions that we need to ask ourselves. When you look across and you look across the channel and see what is happening in France, not only has the burqa been banned, 
Not only has the burkini been banned, this week, even when an, a sports outlet wanted to sell a hijab for swimming, there were protests outside such that this company stopped selling hijabs for swimming. We are seeing a very worrying trend across Europe where Muslim speech, Muslim practice is being criminalized. And it has to be that we don't stand for this. It has to be that we take whatever measures we can as individuals by talking about it, by speaking to our representatives, by using social media, because if this is what is happening now, I fear where we will be in 10 years time and the extent of the criminalization of Muslims in this country. You and I have an urgent responsibility to be aware of what's happening and to respond accordingly with unity and with wisdom, justice, and to always stay within the boundaries of the law, insha'Allah.